Hi, this is Tamson Granger. This is Dan Abuhoff. With Tamson and Dan, read the paper. It's Sunday, no, it's Monday. Monday. It's Monday, it's Labor Day. Yeah. September the 3rd. Is that right? Yeah. We have, we're a day late. And a dollar short. Well, many dollars short, because we've just been to California. Um, and uh, we were there. For uh, the uh, wedding party for Zeke and Noel. Zeke Abuhoff, our youngest son, and Noel Borg. And uh, it was fun. Yes, we had a lovely time in uh, Santa Monica. We traveled, our traveling companions being, of course, uh, Granger, our oldest son, and uh, Nico, uh, his wife. And uh, Sadie met us there. And uh, Pam Borg was there, uh, Noel's mother, who we know pretty, pretty well by now. There was a lot of uh, partying, hanging out by the beach, enjoying Santa Monica. Which, uh, I don't know if anyone's aware of this, but it's pretty good weather, generally speaking. Spent a lot of time on the beach. Yeah. And uh, so that was uh, unusual for us. It was. And, you know, we're not California people, but uh, we've been there before. We know we've heard of In-N-Out Burger. We understand the drill. And uh, we did all right. We had a good time. And the party itself was up in the hills. Tarzana. 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 It's, uh, you know, it's like a movie set. And when I say like a movie set, it is kind of a movie set because the way it works is you rent the location and for the party in this case, but it's a location that's been rented for photo shoots and the like. It was quite Hollywood. Wasn't yes. It? <laughs> yes. Yes. It was, it was uh, you know, it was set for a bacchanalia. It had a big pool in the center of it. It had a basketball court below. Yes. What bacchanalia is uh, without a basketball court? That's right. So uh, clearly, with a big mural of Kobe Bryant, I mean, what more could you ask for? Uh, yeah, it was uh, unusual. It was, uh, and it was Very hot. hot. There. It was hot there, not like in Santa Monica. Santa Monica's on the water, so not so hot here. It was over ninety, but uh, you know, we managed. The sun eventually moved out of the way a little bit. We got a little shade, and uh, yours truly changed into his bathing suit because that's the kind of party animal I am. Uh, you remained uh, fully clothed, I know. Uh, and we celebrated. Yes, we had a lot of fun, we and did. there were. Um, it was fun to meet uh, all their friends. That's true. There are a lot of people we hadn't met. Younger um, people who were uh, coworkers or friends they met along the way. Many into computer stuff. Noelle's friends from, uh, from high school. Her past in Colorado, uh, and uh, have we spent a lot of time with family. Yes, with Pam and uh, with uh, Zavi. And Ona, and Dominique, and Chris. These are Borgs. These are Borgs we're mentioning. This is the Borg Chuck side. Yes. And Smita, the extended Borg family. Exactly. Lots of fun. Okay. So, but anyway, uh, we just flew back, and boy, are our arms oh, tired. Oh, my God. Well, we'll come back to the wedding later. We're still getting over. We flew overnight, and, uh, you know, it's clearly on our minds. It's, it's the big event. The big event. But things happened while we were gone, and I know that people are at a loss as to how to think about things without getting our take on it, uh, sports in particular. So, Well, what? because we were away, yeah. you and Sadie couldn't go to the Open. Well, that's true. That's true. The Tennis Open. Yeah, so the Tennis Open, you know, and the Tennis is just starting. And the, the time to go to the Open, is, if you're going to the weekend, it's the first weekend because all the matches are going on. If you go the last weekend, you're just seeing the semifinals and the finals, which is what people talk about. But It's the big names. It's the big names, but it doesn't have the same variety. You can't see eight or nine matches in the way you can see it if you go earlier on, which is what Sadie and I have done. And, 
you know, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense for us to tell you who won or who lost because people it don't hear this. It would be old news. Yeah, it would be old news. I mean, perhaps it's the story that's gotten the most play, and I can sort of understand why, although I, I guess you didn't catch up with it, Hampton, was uh, Naomi Osaka, who won the tournament last year, played Coco Goff in, the, uh, in an early round. Oh, he's, really? He's a 15-year-old. Oh, really? The two yeah. up-and-comers. Right. Well, yes and no. Or, uh, Naomi yeah. Osaka has won two uh, championships. Well, so she's already here. Yeah, she's yeah. here. Okay, got it. <laughs> and Coco Goff's 15. So Coco Goff had won a but couple it's, of... But they are the next generation. Yeah, and a half. But Taking it, over the mantle. Yes. So Coco Goff had generated some excitement as a 15-year-old, and she was going to prove her mettle against Naomi, Naomi Osaka. And uh, Osaka blew her out. Just blew her out. It wasn't, wasn't a competitive match. And uh, at the end, they shake hands and embrace and... Um, and Naomi says to Coco Goff, uh, why don't you come with me? Let's do a joint news conference. It's sort of a gracious gesture. And uh, Coco Goff says, no, I just want to, I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. I don't want to cry in front of all these people. She's 15 years old. <laughs> and Naomi Osaka, who's all of 21, says, um, it's better to cry here than crying in the shower. And Interesting. <laughs> and she takes her in front of all these people. And the press conference, the joint press conference becomes a big story. Uh -huh. Because it's very nice, and the crowd uh -huh. warms her up, uh -huh. and uh, and Naomi Osaka actually, you know, looks at uh, Coco Goff's parents. I've been seeing you at events for years, and you have a wonderful daughter. She's going to be a great player, and it becomes a great moment. So it's uh, a big love fest. A big love fest, and Naomi. And Osaka, how do you, as a sports fan, feel about that? Well, uh, you know, I, I can't get as excited about it as some people, but you know, because there's. I guess there's cr crying in tennis. There is there's no crying in baseball. Clearly, we all know that. There's crying. Actually, Sadie had a shirt this weekend with a New York Mets blazoned on the front and the back and says, no no crying in baseball, which I thought was pretty apt. Uh, yeah, it's just funny to me. Osaka, well, a Mets fan needs that reminder yes. constantly. Uh, Osaka is all of 21. you got to give her credit uh, for pulling that off. I so, do. I do. That yeah. sounds quite mature. Well, the other big story was about... Um, uh, Andrew Luck retired, and people were very excited about that. Well, another great tennis player. No, no football player. Football. And, Who and, knew? Uh, so he retires. He's a quarterback, one of the top quarterbacks in the league, plays for the Indianapolis Colts, has been injured on and off for several years. And he was in the middle of, you know, he was rehabbing from his last set of injuries from last year. I'm Re sure the team took it in stride. Rehabbing is hard work. I'm sure the fans took it in stride. And it was announced, it, it kind of got botched because it kind of leaked out, but it was, it was announced at the end of an exhibition game that he was retiring at the age of 29, and the fans were so upset that they booed him. And then it became a controversy because there were people standing up for uh, Andrew Luck saying, um, gee, you know, uh, the guy's health is at stake. He's, he's, he's retiring because his injuries have affected his career, and it's a mature decision on his part. And, of course, this is one of the time's great causes is that Pro football should be shut down. So the Times say, absolutely, he's ahead of the curve. Anybody from that sport should retire immediately. And um, and how how awful that the fans booed him not to appreciate that this is a guy who's looking at his future as a human being. And the other side of it is that you know what a what they call him a millennial. He's a wimp. Anyone else would have fought his way through all this, and that's not the way tough guys do things. So that's the level of debate. But it's been a real debate. And to me, as a lawyer, I look at it a little differently. <laughs> here's the way I look at it. You know, it's certainly fine for um, Andrew Luck to retire uh, and maybe even reasonable. 
logical, maybe even smart. Uh, there's only one problem. He signed a contract to play football. And I'm not saying anyone forces you to play under those circumstances. But when you say to somebody, I promise to play, why don't you sign 40 other guys that will fit with my style of play? And then at the last second you go, oh, you know, not for me. Uh, it's, it's not a great thing. It's not a great thing. So is there going to be a lot of fallout? No. The, the, is there going to be a big lawsuit? No. The, the PR of it is such that even though he's breaking the contract, the Indianapolis Colts can't do anything about it. And they're just smiling. Well, you were a great player. You know, Godspeed. But their their season is shattered. And and because they, they have players that they recruited to play with Andrew Luck. <laughs> it's not going to work. But you see it as bad behavior. It's not as bad behavior. The bad behavior isn't isn't retiring. The bad behavior is signing a contract without a thought that you might be retiring. And 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 the fact of the matter is, he's not. In, in other words, he didn't get hurt last week. He he. This is he he got tired of the rehab. He got tired of the mental strain. He got tired of the prospect of being hurt again. All these things he might have thought of before he signed the contract. We're we're confident there's nothing in the contract that allows this. Oh, I'm I'm not. This is not. No, he shouldn't get sued. But when you promise somebody, you tell them, I'll be there, and you're not there. It's like it's like someone's making a movie. Let's say they're making a movie. Brad Pitt says, Brad Pitt says I'm going to be in the movie. And they get everybody there, and they get the cameras there, and they get the crew there, and they get the co-stars there. And at the last second, Brad Pitt goes, you know something? The weather here is too dry for me. I'm not going to do it. Or I have another off. Whatever it is, he's not there. Uh, he might get sued. He might not get sued. But but it, it's not cool. All right? That, that's the All right, problem. So you're, yeah, you're pretty much focused on the bad behavior bit. Uh, not bad behavior, just that uh, if you promise what, something... That's you gotta, what I'm hearing. <laughs> it is what you're hearing. That's it what is, I'm hearing. I, there's no question it's what you're hearing. Uh, you can't promise somebody you're going to do something and then walk out. I mean, it, 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 yeah, you know, that's what your whole career has been based on. What? People backing out of things well, they've that, promised that's why I have a career. to provide that's why I have or a career. do, okay? You know, the, the, the quote he has in the Times, that the Times celebrates, he says, I thought for the first time I should think, put myself first. I'm going, Okay. <laughs> But there are consequences to that. But in any event, you have uh, something about Santa Monica by total coincidence. Yes, the article that uh, caught my eye last week in the New York Times was about a woman uh, that the Times refers to as the produce hunter, Karen Beverlin, who is the vice president for specialty sales at Fresh Point one of the nation's largest produce distributors, supplying schools, hospitals, restaurant chains, and cruise lines. And they show a picture of her at a Santa Monica farmer's market. And uh, we actually were staying across the street from a Santa Monica farmer's market. We did not see her. No. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's a great story. It's a, it's a fun story because it has a couple of different aspects to it. It tells about her and the development of her career, but it also gives you some of her tips about how well, to uh, pick give produce. Us, give us an idea of the story. Well, here's her story. She uh, thought she wanted to be a veterinarian. She went to college, found out uh, really didn't like science and wasn't good at it. Yeah. Ends up somehow getting an internship at a nonprofit fresh produce council. All right, which led to 20 years on the shipping side of the fresh produce uh, council business, okay. whatever that means. Anyway, she's in veggie right. uh, shipping for 20 years, and uh, 10 years 
she's been working at Fresh Point. Okay, so it's an, another one of those great stories where, you know, somebody gets tricked into a job that doesn't seem that glamorous or romantic, and yet it really sort of clicks and but works But what is, what is she doing at Fresh Point? What is she doing there? Well, she's, uh, you know, she's supplying, uh, you know, sourcing all this produce for all these clients. Right. Okay, and one of the things she's doing at the... Um, produce market at the farmer's market is she's going around looking for the specialty items. Right, but, but you know, just so you're clear, when you're saying she's sourcing, she's finding the fruits and vegetables that they want to buy. Right, right. Okay. That's I mean, they have all kinds of sources, not uh, right. not just from the little stands but she's at the produce around. market. She's walking, but she's walking, walking around and evaluating. And things. she's seeing these, you know, sort of, uh, uh, what you would call them, heirloom uh, varieties. Yeah. She's trying cherries, seeing if they're at that peak point of a flavor. She's seen specific fabulous cherries and recommending them to a chef she knows um, who's going to turn that in to a fabulous sauce for duck at his restaurant that week. And she has a lot of interesting uh, tips. And she, she says that, uh, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the tells that we go by, us amateurs... Uh, for what is a tasty um, fruit or even vegetable right. are actually kind of wrong. Right. And uh, she has some very interesting little ones. She said, uh, for instance, the best sweet cherries have a matte finish rather than patent leather, and they have tiny little pittings, almost tiny little, you know, um, blemishes uh, that tell you they're at the peak flavor. A great nectarine has sugar spots, uh, little white freckles. Peaches don't go for the red blush on the peach, which is really what we love. And she says that uh, that's not an indicator of flavor. The peaches were bred because generally when there's an unripe peach, if it's more red, we're attracted to it mm -hmm. uh, than if it's just pale. It doesn't necessarily... T um, yeah. So she's an Look expert. She knows what's good. Do not squeeze the peach or the stone fruit uh, with your fingertips. You're, you know, you're only going to breeze it. She picks it up, holds it like the palm in the ha hand, and just gives it the barest pressure. Uh, she says um, it needs to give just a bit, firm but not. Hard. Well, if you wait till yeah. she also says, if you wait till it gets like, you know, soft, super too, ripe, forget it. You're past the point right. of maximum she, she flavor. Says get it before it's ripe. The right. you know, it's there's that. Yeah. Do they actually call point. her the fruit and vegetable whisperer or something like no, that? They, no, they actually call her the uh, hunter. Oh, oh, really? Okay, but here, but here's another interesting thing. She carries with her, okay, a bricks, a portable bricks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Refractometer. Well, anyone can which do that. Which measures right. measure the sugar, right? The, the amounts of sugar right. from just a, a um, few drops of the juice. Well, she says all the chefs know these numbers, right? And uh, that's the way she can. Well, you know, I, I got the feeling that she didn't it. even need that, but it, she felt that to communicate, it's easier because that way she can get. Well, to if the a chef said exactly, right. if a chef says, but well, you know, how people, sweet are they? How right. perfect are they? And she said, well, I got this on my. Right. Refractometer. Right. But whatever it's called. But a lot of people Tech. just rely on it implicitly. And she says, this is the thing to get. Go get it. Buy boom. it. Boom. 
Right. So it's a combination of tremendous experience and, you know, having this little state-of-the-art stuff. But anyway, she, you know, she, um, one of the reasons she was attracted to this business was it all happens early in the morning. So she's done early in the day, can spend the rest of the day with her daughter. Yeah. Her daughter becomes a lawyer. Yeah. Daughter's a lawyer, but she's, she's, she's actually older. I don't know how old she is, but she talks about retiring and not retiring I think she, she concludes she's by saying... She's hardly old at all. She's 59. Well, she did say something about she chooses to go by passing away while she's looking at food or something like that. So she's looking uh, Well, that's what ahead. they say. When will you retire? Yeah, never. And she says, uh, you know, I plan to die right here in the market. Well, that's why she seemed old to me. But, <laughs> all right. It's nice that they said there's room for expertise. She well, it's a, boy, it's a pretty persuasive piece. But you love a person like that who knows their right. business so well. And everybody in, in the area knows it too. And all the people who have the produce run yes. to her. And, and they're all they the, all know her and uh, they yeah. say, come here, I got it now. This is the right stuff. Right. Yeah. The the different little stories of her interacting with the, both sellers and buyers. Right. Uh, it's a great uh, story. Yeah. Karen Beverlin, yeah. produce hunter. Uh, so it's interesting... Uh, follow-up from a review that was in the Times. A woman named Laura Collins-Hughes, I guess one of those folks who's a critic at the Times, who gets the review plays during the summer, um, as opposed to the regular reviewers, had written a review of what's become a little bit of a sensation, which is uh, a double play performance uh, in New York. Uh, it's called Seawall Slash A Life. Two plays. The first, Seawall, is a monologue by a fellow named Tom Sturridge. The second is uh, A Life is a Monologue by Jake Gyllenhaal. And um, and in particular, Tom Sturge's performance attracted uh, this woman, Colin Hughes, in her review. And she, it was a very positive review. And the thing she focused on more than anything else was she said, this fellow was so captivating telling this story, which is pretty much a sad story about the loss of a child, that deeply into it, there was a long pause, a long pause, and sure enough, a cell phone went off. And without breaking stride, and looking just slightly at the audience, he said softly, it's okay. It's okay, which she took as almost breaking the fourth wall as a comment that might have been in the context of the play, but was very much telling the audience, let's not overreact to the, to the cell phone. And this play never missed the beat, never lost anything. And she thought that was amazing on his part to be able to do that at the spur of the moment. And that it said so much about the intensity and the mood in the theater that they were able to carry that off. So that was impressive, and certainly I remembered it. Well, two weeks later, Laura Collins Hughes has doubts. And those doubts stem from the fact that she runs into a couple people who've seen it, and they say, you know, when I saw it, a cell phone went off also. And now she's saying to herself, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, is it possible that I reacted in this tremendously positive way uh, because of what I thought was a spontaneous moment that they had to overcome, when in fact it's part of the play. And now she felt she had gotten the review wrong, and she set out to figure out what's going on. And she ended up talking to more people who'd seen the play. One or two had said, yeah, the cell phone went off, some not. Uh, and uh, she ends up going back to the play three or four times. And the times that she went back, cell phone didn't go off. So she was really at a loss. And she felt she had to nail this down. It became an obsession. So she actually uh, wrote the playwright and uh, said, is this part of the play? And he said to her, uh, it's absolutely not part of this play. It's absolutely not in the script. And then he second, sent her a second email a little bit later. It said, but when you think about it, it's not really, it fits very perfectly into what we're doing, doesn't it? Right? Something like that. Which just 
caused her to think again maybe they're playing with her i mean maybe it is part of the play and 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 now and i think she concludes after writing this whole article about this you know something it doesn't make any difference it's a play it creates a certain mood it's it's as real as it chooses to be whether it's the third wall or the fourth wall whether it's on purpose or it's not purpose it's all testament to what's going on in the theater and the connection that people are making the message that the playwright's getting across and uh the ultimate theme uh, that's at the core of this play, and, and, and therefore, whether it's on purpose or not, whether they're fooling with her uh, or not, it doesn't make any difference. It's just tremendously affecting performance, and that's what matters. And I think that's right. But it, it, it's just a, it, it's a funny set of circumstances because people do deal in the theater with the notion that a cell phone can go off any time, and often it does, and sometimes at the very worst times when it's totally obvious that it is not part of the script. And there's a famous incident where uh, Patti Lapone kind of reamed out someone in the audience because a cell phone went off during one of her performances. Uh, so, 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 so now we can feel uh, quite comfortable and not worry about our cell phones going off in no, a play. Uh, it can simply be a measure of how you know captivating no, this uh, no. actor or actress that, is. That would not be. That's not. I would not take that. I, I think that's the way you've laid it out. No, here, no, no, yes. no, no. Yes. What I'm saying is. That uh, it's always a bad thing, but uh, but whether uh, the playwrights being upfront with you as to what's in the play and what's not, what's whether the playwright goes so far, or the production goes so far as to sort of mislead as to what's spontaneous and what's not. At the end of the day, it doesn't make any difference because it's all about misleading. It's all theater, and you just take it for whatever the experience was. Yeah, get with it, Patty Lupone. Get with it. Yeah. Okay. Get with it. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead with what? Uh, you have something. About oh Victoria something which was pretty no standard. not Victoria Prince Albert well there are a couple yes but yeah. the book it's a review of a book yeah a biography uh, by A N Wilson yeah and this is in the Wall Street Journal and the title of the book is Prince Albert so it's about Prince Albert as in Albert and Victoria and uh, really kind of you know goes far to kind of fill out our understanding yeah. of who he was and what he did. Um, and uh, he was profoundly interested in the arts. You know, it, it starts out, he, he's just her husband. He's not, she's queen. <coughs> he's not king. Right. You know, they can't even get parliament to let him be prince consort. Well, ultimately, She just decides yeah, that later. Consort. She works it out later because she's queen. But uh, he had uh, a lot of progressive ideas. He was very interested in the arts and science. He's, he's the big supporter of the Great Exhibition uh, at the Crystal Palace in 1851, um, where everybody is showing off their new technology. And that gives birth yeah. to World's Fairs. Oh, really? For years to come, and we know your family is indebted right. to the concept. Not to mention Prince Albert, uh, pipe tobacco. So yes. you know there um, there was all this stuff he managed to do, even though he was uh, Mister uh, Victoria. Uh, but anyway, I'm telling you, you know, I mean, the only reason I would really read it is it sounds like it has some fairly in depth examination of their romantic uh, love life there. Yeah. They're interludes with each other. Apparently, it's well known. I'm, I'm not a Victoria person, uh, but I'm a little Victorian, <laughs> but not uh, an expert in Victoria. And But apparently, it's well known. I mean, I know she was besotted with him. Right. When he dies, uh, it just she invents a whole new 
level of mourning right. and widowhood and the trappings that are involved there. But apparently, um, she uh, was quite uh, besotted with him physically. I mean, they end up with nine kids. Uh, and, uh, you know, she was not shy about letting people yes, the know Times that. Makes, and that, makes it clear that she's... And she maintained she that. She wrote about it. She maintained that. Yes, she wrote about Despite it. this reviewer saying... Uh, she was devoted to him amorously for two decades, despite increasing baldness and paunchiness. Yeah, I don't understand why the baldness is a problem, oh. but, but uh, the paunchiness, I can see, is an issue. Uh, uh, so, uh, but anyway, it turns out he did not exactly return the favor. Well, he was a good husband. They had nine kids. Yes. All right. He kept up with his responsibilities. Right. But, uh, but you know, she, she he, he did the job. Uh, but for her, you know. She was overwhelmed. Yeah. yeah. All right. Good. That's uh, that's what. That's interesting. That's you, a good situation. You know, you never think. You see those old pictures of her where she's like 500 years old, yeah, you know, in the big black dress. Yeah. You don't ever think of her having sex. That's, that's why the, but, the, the PBS uh, you know, series did a little A lesson is learned right? here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. We were all young once. Apparently. She was young many times. Um, so here's something. This comes back to Zeke again. I, I feel I'm, I'm empowered to do this because Zeke would be interested in this. I know Granger was. Uh, there's an article in the Times uh, of all places about the Submariner. The Submariner is a, a longtime Marvel character, but one who hasn't quite made it to the movies, which is hard to do these days because the folks who make these movies, like Marvel and Sony and whatever, have really, you know, scoured the planet to come up with every different movie they can and use every different character. And yet, the Submariner uh, has escaped uh, their notice. So the Submariner uh, was, well, is a mythical figure. The offspring, the mythical offspring of a human and a woman who is a citizen of Atlantis. Therefore, he rules the seas and he can exist on land for certain periods of time. He also has what we'll call webbed feet, something in the way of wings almost. Marvelous swimmer. Uh, he looks somewhat amphibious. He can command uh, amphibious creatures, uh, make them make them do their will, or at least suggest strongly that that's what they do. And uh, so he's a powerful force, and he looks pretty tough in a bathing suit. And yet, uh, he hasn't quite made it. Um, I mean, Aquaman's got his own movie. That's the DC comic version, but this is Marvel. But he, there are wonderful stories they highlight going back to 1940. Uh, about Submariner uh, emerging as a character with a Fantastic Four. And he's had all kinds of adventures I wasn't even aware of. I mean, you can understand the normal, you know, getting the fish together to go battle. But um, at some point, he becomes a, a movie executive, makes a, <laughs> makes a movie with the Fantastic Four. Turns out that what he's really trying to do is impress uh, the invisible uh, woman who's uh, Mr. Fantastic's uh, wife because he wants to steal her away. doesn't quite work out. But the movie's so successful, it sets up the Fantastic Foreign funds for all kinds of years. Uh, there's another so point. So that's where they get uh, introduced, the Fantastic Four? Not never introduced, but this is early on. I mean, he's, he's constantly working with uh, the Human Torch. Uh, at one point, uh, he has some difficulty, some medical difficulty in which he... He's, he has trouble breathing air. He gets help from Dr. Doom, who you'll recall was kind of a tough character. So he's, he's back in the saddle, uh, and uh, he doesn't have to wear a special suit. He can wear his normal outfit, which is swim trunks. And the human torch says, oh, gee, we haven't seen Subby in his swim trunks in a long time. He looks good. So, you know, there's all this jabbering back and forth between them. Uh, he ends up running a huge uh, environmental company. 
Uh, he walks around in a suit. He's a, he's a wonderful character. So why is he not a household name like uh, Superman? I think it's hard to... Um, is the, it the same reason that Shape of Water wasn't everybody's yeah, favorite? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's the amphibious nature of the character turns some people off. Hmm. And, you know, it's one thing to dress a guy up, uh, you know, in a superhero suit, but otherwise he, he looks good in gray flannel as Clark Kent. And, you know, we all have an easy time identifying with him. The Submariner is an odd-looking dude. And he's neither, how shall we say, fish nor fowl. But you, with your newfound love of swimming flippers, Aquatic, yes, I, yes, that's just, probably have a, a swimming whole new, flippers have changed my life. Right. I am a demon in the water with swimming flippers, and you're probably having a whole new respect for Submariner. I, I, I had a lot of respect to begin with. Well, uh, well, maybe you just identify with him a little bit. I now. do, I do. And there's an obvious. There, there are many ways, many similarities between the two of us. Uh, so why yeah. are they writing the article? There's this... no reason in the Western world why. Okay, it's just somebody uh, likes... It um... might be some. you know, as, as Granger explained to me, he said, you know, sometimes the articles in the New York Times are kind of planted by PR people. I said, oh. Ooh, Submariner's <laughs> guys working overtime. Exactly, the Marvel folks. But, you know, it's always nice to see something about, about an old subby. Well, another review in the Wall Street Journal is about... Uh, a book uh, biography of uh, George Gershwin. Right. And it's called Summertime by Richard Crawford. It is 594 pages long. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, uh, you know, I, hard for me to tell if uh, it's a great book or not. But boy, what an interesting person. Yeah. And uh, born in 1898 and uh, dies young. Uh, age 38. Right. Um, of, uh, so brain aneurysm. Yeah. Well, glioblastoma probably had a, a huge tumor. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, he, you know, grew up, uh, son of Russian Jewish immigrants. Uh, his family lived in 28 different places, yeah. uh, by the time he was an adolescent. And somehow, in, in the midst of all those changes, he learned how to play the piano. Well, the thing I can follow, they got a piano when he was 14, and it almost sounds like he could play it when he sat down. And uh, I don't know if he was playing other people's pianos, but word got out quickly that he was a prodigy after he spent 10 minutes in the living room with the, the new thing. Uh, and he took it from there, and uh, everybody recognized him and acknowledged him as a prodigy. You know, he's contemporary of Irving Berlin, uh, Harold you know, Schoenberg, uh, Irving Schoenberg, Harold Schoenberg, uh, said he was a prodigy. I mean, he was a genius, a genius, right? Right. And uh, couldn't have been a bigger celebrity at the time, writing popular music, writing uh, scores that infused jazz riffs in the middle of symphonic works, such as Rhapsody in Blue. Well, but here's the thing I don't understand. Yeah. How did he know? I, I guess I'm going to have to read the book. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we listen well, to Gershwin all the time. We love him, love Rhaps- Rhapsody in Blue, right. love Oscar Levant right. playing Rhapsody in Blue. Uh, but uh, how does he know so much uh, about blues, jazz, um, yeah. you know, black American musical traditions, yeah. et cetera? And, and, how, and how does he end up being the person who interjects that into... Um, modern music. Yeah, well, that's uh, or it, it, that's a good spread I think audience. It, my guess is it's in the book. It's not in the review, uh, but I bet it's in the book, and uh, and it's clearly what he does. Uh, and they talk about how you know there was some mixed feelings about that. He had sort of little competition with uh, Duke Ellington about that. 
you know, when he wrote Porgy and Bess, um, they insi- the estate insisted that it only be performed with uh, black actors. Uh, they were very committed to that notion. They, were, they know they were playing that kind of music, uh, and they wanted black actors to have the opportunity to perform that kind of music. So it's a complicated thing, but he clearly has that sensibility. He wasn't the only one who was doing that at the time, but he was just, he was clearly the most successful. Um, uh, you know, there are other tunes that uh, others wrote that are close enough. But, uh, so, I, so I wonder if there was a tradition already. I mean, you hear that in Showboat with Jerome Kern. Uh, you hear that in others. Um, but anyway, his music really lives on. I oh, mean, yeah. It's not like it's some music uh, that, uh, you know, you have to be, you know, uh, work hard to introduce your children to. No, it's great. It's everywhere. Lady Gaga sings it. It's in the background of, uh, you know, airline commercials. Right. Uh, you know, it's all over the place. And it, it, so, and so that tells you something. It's so all over the place. In fact, it was at the wedding. Exactly. Uh, to come this, back to the wedding. This the wedding party seamless, this weekend. Right? Noel and Zeke danced to They Can't Take That Away From Me. Sung by? Louis Armstrong and, and the great Ella Fitzgerald. Who Sadie, as a child, would refer to as Leah Fitzgerald. But yes. Uh, yeah. So Gershwin, uh, amazing talent and still an amazing talent. I mean, it's, it's a tremendous influence. Uh, but let's go back to the wedding for just a second, because we had the opportunity, you know, at, at, there were people make remarks or toast at the end uh, of the uh, party or the latter part of the party that we had on Saturday. And those are just uh, brief and it's not clear what to say. And it's sort of a party atmosphere. But you always think that afterwards, maybe I could have added something. Or maybe I shouldn't have added something. Well, but... for those who didn't make it to the party. Yeah. You want to tell a story? Well, I, yeah. So I'm thinking about, uh, yeah, Zeke. And to me, I look, without getting too deep into the wedding, my favorite Zeke story, because Zeke's one of my favorite people. So it's simple to tell a favorite Zeke story. But it tells you a lot. It says a lot to me about Zeke and even a little bit what it's like to be a father of someone like Zeke. And that is that uh, even though you feel, I feel I understand Zeke because we think alike in a lot of ways. He's full of surprises. He's a unique guy. And uh, one perfect example of this was that he came home one day from high school, his junior or senior year, and said he wanted to learn how to sing, which is kind of unusual. Uh, certainly not something I would have done. And uh, he was at a school which we were able to arrange that he had singing lessons. And he was serious. He wanted to learn how to sing. And, of course, uh, we would, you know, we weren't hearing him practice or anything. He said, really, really doing this? Yeah. And then for a confluence of events, uh, before you know it, after doing this for a few weeks or maybe a few months, uh, something got moved up. And we said, well, this Sunday there's going to be a recital and Zeke's going to sing. And I'm going, well, what? He's going to sing at a recital? I know, I never heard him sing. But we couldn't be there. Well, we couldn't be there because we had sporting events with the other kids. No, 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 no. Why? Granger was graduating. Oh, is that what it was? From college. Oh, is that what it was? Yes. Well, whatever. And then we were actually weren't going to miss. Okay. So, but I ended up being there. We were all there together at Granger's graduation, yeah. and the minute, the nanosecond it ended, yeah. you and Zeke hopped in a car. From Connecticut to go to New Jersey for his singing recital, and I'm, so I'm there with Zeke, and I, we drive to this uh, very impressive uh, music building that they have there at the high school, and he's there for the recital, and uh, next thing you know, I'm sitting down, and uh, I'm listening to the recital, and sure enough, the, the first person comes on uh, a lovely young woman is you know junior or senior in high school 
and uh, she uh, she sings opera. And I'm going like, oh, wow, wow. And then another young woman comes on, and uh, she plays the violin, like classical violin, like she's been playing his whole life, her whole life, which she obviously was. Next person, young woman comes on, I think she's playing the violin and singing opera at the same time. I mean, it's just, it's, I'm totally, what are we doing here? And I'm saying to myself, what's Zeke going to do here? What's Zeke going to do? Because he's, I don't think he can sing at all. And this is really well, you're high sure class. he can't sing it right. And it's high class. Stuff. You know Zeke. This is going to be embarrassing. What's happening? And then they say next is Ezekiel Abuha, and I have I'm like sitting there in the audience, and I have, literally can't look, and I have like my uh, my face is buried in my hands in a subtle way, and I'm going like, oh my god, what are we going to do? And and I'm not even looking at the stage, and the piano starts, and then I hear this deep baritone voice singing Shenandoah and uh, I'm going what's that and I'm listening and it goes on and it's a very impressive baritone voice singing this very you know moving uh, old time folk tune uh, I won't sing for you because I can't sing and uh, and I'm saying well, could that possibly be Zeke but I can't bring myself to look and then uh he gets, he gets through the whole thing practically, and toward the very end, guess what happens, of all things? A cell phone goes off. <laughs> and, uh, and there's an awkward moment, and it stops, and I take my hands off my face, and I realize it's Zeke who's been singing. And then the, the, uh, the teacher who's been running this whole thing says, oh, it's very embarrassing, very embarrassing. We'll do that last bit again. And I'm saying, no, no, don't do that. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Leave well enough no, no, alone. No. And they do it. And of course, just to show how completely nonplussed they am by this whole thing, instead of me enjoying it, because now I know that he can really sing, I put my hands in, uh, over my face again. I can't look, and sure enough, he does it. So, you know, what can I say? I mean, uh, Zeke's just uh, a unique guy. He's uh, full of surprises. He's got talents. Uh, he's got resources. He's got nerve. Uh, he's got dimension. Uh, and uh, it's really something. To well, I think it's worth the... Noting that uh, you can be surprised by your children. Uh, that well, obviously, I, at all that, that's what you learn. We that's, you think you know. Somebody. We only know the tip of the iceberg. Exactly right. Exactly and, right. Uh, if, if I learned anything from that, and I probably didn't learn enough, it's exactly what you just said. That your children are their own people, and uh, they're going to surprise you. But anyway, so you. Have. Well, what I was thinking about uh, during that whole fun event, the fun weekend, was uh, an old piece of advice that. Uh, I remember it came from my favorite radio psychologist, Joy Brown, Dr. Joy Brown, yeah. if you remember her on WOR. I do. She used to say there are two things you want to give your kids, roots and wings, and uh, roots to provide a firm and loving foundation to take them through life, and the wings to, you know, go forth and embrace mm. all aspects of life and new adventures, etc. And so I was gratified to look at Zeke and uh, Noel and think these are people with roots and wings and uh, Godspeed. Yeah, I think that's that's true. Uh, yeah. So there we have it. It's been uh, a wonderful uh, weekend. Now we have to go sleep it off. Well, yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> I guess that's right. So and I'm glad to say their love is probably here to stay. I think that's true. Uh, so that's it for this episode of Tamsin Dan Read the Paper. I'm Dan Abuhoff. I'm Tamsin Granger. See you next week.